that there was a barbecue uh, on today for me. Uh, I would have put a stop to that, um, but uh, I, I found out about it too late. Um, but having said that, it's always great to have a barbecue and have fellowship together. So if you can make it to Cornelian Bay today, that would be fantastic. And uh, I think it's going to be a really nice day. Um, can I just say really quickly uh, and, and commend you and thank you uh, for the time uh, during the vacancy uh, because everybody has just kept doing their roles, their jobs, serving God. People have stepped up where they've needed to. Uh, that's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, the attendances have kept up. The giving's kept up. Uh, it, it's just been a really, really good effort. So thank you so much for that. Um, the role of interim moderator is always a very limited role. And uh, so I'm so pleased for Cornerstone that Mark has come now because, in a sense, it makes the team complete. And that's a really good thing. We've been waiting for it for a while, but that's, that's come about now. But do remember, um, it is a team. It's a team effort. Whatever God takes Cornerstone uh, into in, in the future, it will be a team working together. It needs everyone just to pitch in with all that we've got. And, uh, and God will use all the different abilities and giftings and talents of each and every one of us. So do be commended as a church family together. It truly is a great church family. And uh, I'm going to be watching with great interest uh, and praying for Cornerstone just to see the exciting things that take place uh, in the future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to your word today, we, we pray that you would lead us and guide us. Uh, Lord, there are good times in our life and there seem to be bad things that happen. There seem to be times of trial and testing. And we pray, Lord, that today you would show us how to look at that, uh, what perspective to have, and certainly to keep our eyes fixed firmly upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, sometimes when we go or, or we're preparing for uh, the end of the year to go on annual leave, uh, sometimes we plan to go interstate. And uh, you probably would have gone through this. It might be seven or eight, nine months out, but you have to start to plan and you're booking your fares and then you're looking into different types of accommodation. You need to book that and you're looking at the things that uh, you might be doing on your holiday. And uh, I find that when we do that, I get really absorbed in, in, in the whole planning. And then the problem is I want to go now. And, and, you know, I just can't wait because I'm just thinking holiday, holiday. The problem is it might be seven, eight, nine months away. And what I have to do and what we all have to do in that situation is grab a hold of our mind and we have to say, no, look, that's in the, in the future. It's going to happen, but now we need to be patient and wait for it. And it's in a similar way, but of course much more important, that uh, James talks about the fact that something really good is going to happen for us, and that is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. When justice will prevail when all the wrongs are going to be made right. That's something so good 
to look forward to. But James realises that, hey, and they thought it was fairly soon, but nonetheless it wasn't today. And James said we need to look forward to that, but we need to be patient. We need to realise that it might be a little way off and we need to be patient. And we're going to have a look at how James addresses uh, that today. And it's a bit like I was just saying before, we knew quite early on really that Mark and Angie in the family would be coming, but then it was quite a while till they could come, as is usually the case, and we needed to be patient. But lo and behold, it's happened. And uh, this week, Mark uh, will start. So good things do happen, but we need to be patient and we need to wait. Now, just to put this passage in context, like the whole of James, James is addressing believers, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I'm talking today, uh, whatever we might be believing or thinking, we have to understand that James is addressing people who believe in Jesus of the cross, people who believe in Jesus of the resurrection and people who believe in Jesus of the second coming. Now, in verses 1 to 6, it's a bit of a strange passage because James is still writing this to believers, but it's like he's giving an Old Testament prophetic judgment against the rich, unsaved people who are oppressors and and mistreaters, if you like, of the poor. Now, the likelihood is that some of those people might hear this warning, but lots of those people will not. So James is still writing it to the believers so that they can benefit from what he's saying. But it is about the first six verses, it's addressed to the unsaved, the unbelievers, the rich people who are oppressing the poor. So let's have a look at this and see what we can learn from it. So as I said, James writes about unsaved wealthy people who hoard their riches. They are self-indulgent and carry out injustice by oppressing poor and defenceless workers. They obtain some of their wealth through the heartless and cruel treatment of vulnerable people in their employ. And what we see is that hoarding money, exploiting employees and living self-indulgently will not escape God's notice. So James starts off in verse 1 of this text and he says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. James is, is issuing a warning that God's judgment will come upon those people for their actions. Now, as I look around here, I don't see anybody fitting this category of unsaved rich people oppressing the poor. But nonetheless, there are a few things that we can learn from it uh, about life, especially the Christian life. Rather than hoarding riches, we should be generous in the work of God's kingdom. And on injustice, cheating others, 
Unjustly using others or mistreating others for gain is highly offensive to God. And on self-indulgence, living extravagantly without thought for God's work and the poor is a selfish life where we think we are more important than God. Why is that? Because we become our own idol. We would live to worship and please ourselves. That's the kind of people that James is writing about. Verse 2, your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Wow, that's pretty strong, isn't it? James is proclaiming the worthlessness of riches. You can't take your wealth with you. You can't take it to the grave. If you do, you can put it in your coffin with you if it will fit, but in time, it is going to perish. But our riches, they don't impress God. And today's money will be worthless when Christ returns. We should spend our time accumulating the kind of treasures that will be worthwhile in God's eternal kingdom. What are those treasures? What's important to God? It's Christian character and obedience to him. That's far more important to God. So I suppose one of the things that we can get out of this passage is not to live a life in pursuit of wealth and things, material possessions, but to live a life in pursuit of God. Now, we need to say that money is not the problem. Even Christian ministers need money to live and to support their families. Missionaries need money to help them spread the good news. Churches like Cornerstone need money to do their work effectively. Money in itself is not an evil. But it is the love of money that leads to evil. And 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us that. And it's a warning to all Christians who are tempted to adopt worldly standards rather than godly standards. Our efforts should be towards expanding God's kingdom. Now, if we are blessed with lots of money, with wealth, with lots of possessions, that's not, I'm not saying that in itself is wrong and neither is James, but let's make sure that we realise that everything that we are and everything that we have, it belongs to God. And let us use it generously for the expansion of God's kingdom. Let us fervently in our prayers say, God, I've got this and I've got this, it's really yours. How do you want me to use this? So our life becomes one where we're living for God and we're not living just to, to basically feather our own nest. In verse 4, James goes on, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Now, James was saying to those listeners there in his time that those suffering injustices should take comfort from this that God has heard their cries 
and justice will come. And we can take comfort from that too today. If we're suffering injustice in any way, whatever it might be, God hears our prayers and he hears our cries. And justice will come. It may not be today, but justice will come. And we need to be comforted by that. Verse 1, now listen you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. James is talking about that final justice. The return of Jesus is not just for the saved. It is a global and cataclysmic event. It will herald the judgment of all sin and the righting of all wrongs. You see, we look forward to it. We're waiting for Jesus to come back again. But not everyone is waiting and not everybody is going to look forward to it. And as we see and experience injustice in the world, we need to be comforted that Jesus ultimately will deal with all of it. I don't know about you, but... If I suffer injustice personally, it can be pretty hard to, to cope with. And sometimes you feel angry, don't you? And you feel like you want to get the person who's, who's inflicting you with, with that um, uh, injustice. Or we might just be watching the news. We might just be seeing what's happening around the world. We might be seeing what's happen, happening to other people that we know about. Uh, and we see the injustice Friends, one thing that should comfort us and help to put things in perspective is that ultimately Jesus will right all wrongs and justice will come. God's justice will come. So if we get angry and we think, oh, life's unfair, and look, in a lot of ways it is unfair, it seems unfair so often, but we can know that ultimately Jesus Christ will come and justice will come. Evil will be dealt with. Sometimes God deals with it in our lifetime. Sometimes it might just be weeks away or months away or a few years away. But some injustice, some evils uh, won't be dealt with until ultimately when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. But it will happen. In verse 5, James says, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. He's addressing the, those rich, evil people again. And uh, the day of slaughter is the day of judgment when Christ returns. And what James is saying, the wicked rich are like cattle that continue to fatten themselves on the very day they are to be slaughtered, totally unaware of their coming destruction. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? It's pretty strong. Um, I remember as, uh, as a fellow in his teens and I visited a family farm and it just happened that that day that I was there, they were going to slaughter a cow and cut it up for their own meat to pack it in their couple of big freezers that they had, probably to keep them in meat for the whole year. And that happens on farms. I don't know why it happened on the day I got there, uh, because I got to see it happen. And I'm going to spare you all the graphic detail. But one thing that amazed me, and James is so right here, that cow that was slaughtered that afternoon, 
uh, that day was just happily munching away on grass in the paddock, completely unaware that in just uh, a little time it was going to be slaughtered. In fact, even minutes before, it was happily eating away. James is warning the, the wicked rich people who are oppressing the poor and hoarding wealth for themselves and living self-indulgently. He's saying, hey, you guys, you, you ladies, whoever it is, you, you're there, you, you, you're fattening yourselves uh, and, and the day of slaughter is coming, the day of judgment of the Lord is coming upon you and you don't even know about it. You know, the sad thing is, as I get around and do my ministry in the bush, and I'm sure you're the same, sometimes we talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ and we're just almost begging them, you know, to, to put their faith in the Lord. And, and they they just blissfully going on in their life, saying, no, we'll be right, thanks, just, you know, eating away and doing the normal things of life. And you just think, oh, if you die today, it's too late. If Jesus comes back today, it's too late. And there, there, you know, people just go on fattening themselves, you know, on with life, just un, unaware, blissfully unaware of, of the approach of, of judgment that is going to come upon them. And that, that's a very uh, sad thing. And hopefully it might spur us on to share Christ however and whenever we can. Verse 6, you've condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. The innocent one, the innocent people uh, that James is referring to, uh, it's the defenceless persons, probably, most probably the poor labourers who, who are being underpaid and, and being cheated. And also in those days, poor people who could not pay their debts were often thrown into prison or forced to sell all their possessions. At times, they were even forced to sell their family members into slavery. And sometimes with no opportunity to work off their debts, poor people sometimes even died of sickness and starvation. And God called this kind of treatment, this maltreatment or mistreatment, uh, God called it murder. Now James changes. He's been, he's been, if you like, bringing almost like a prophetic judgment upon these people and what's going to, to happen. And now from verse 7, he's coming directly back and he's addressing now the, the Christians, the believers in Jesus of the cross and the resurrection and the second coming. So he says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now, the, the people who are receiving this writing from James were most likely uh, the early Jewish Christians who were dispersed after the stoning of Stephen. So in that early persecution of the Christian church. So he's writing to people who already have experienced, if you like, the downside of the Christian faith. They are people who know the joy of believing in Christ and, and, and in being saved and in being forgiven. They know the joy of having peace with God, but they also know the hardship of persecution and suffering that has come upon them. 
So some of them have even had to flee their, their home and, and, and go and, and move somewhere else and live somewhere else. And the early church is full as you, you keep going through the history of Christians being placed in incredibly difficult circumstances. And it's those people that James is writing to. And he's saying, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. In other words, be patient because the deliverance of Jesus will come. But friends, we know that sometimes being patient can be hard. Um, I read that um, a survey of a thousand adults was conducted way back in 2006. Seems like almost in the dark ages now, doesn't it? But um, the Associated Press and Ipsos, they did this poll and they discovered this. While waiting in line at an office or store, most people take an average of 17 minutes to lose their patience. And then on hold on the phone, most lose patience in nine minutes. Now, I don't know how they measured that. How do you actually measure that? I don't know. I don't know how they conducted it or how accurate really that is. It just sounds a bit rubbery to me. But I think what they were trying to uncover is that being patient is really hard. I had to ring up, um, I can't even remember who it was, but, you know, one of those companies where you go and hold. Um, so I normally now just put the mobile on, you know, with the loudspeaker and keep working. And it, you almost forget that they're there and all of a sudden they say, hello, and you go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's true, you know, we, 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 patience can be difficult. Um, can you remember, some of you who are real young may not, but it's not that many years ago when the internet wasn't that good and you'd be sitting at the computer and it all goes dead still and then you get the wheel. <laughs> you know, and it ran and ran it goes because it, it can't keep up. And, and, you, and it's what, you know, you have to sit there and wait for it to catch up. And didn't we get grumpy? <laughs> How dare the internet be so slow and I have to wait a minute or two. That's a terrible thing. And, and I remember just being in Brisbane, living there, it was oh, five, six years ago, and uh, the Telstra thing went down, you know, the network. Um, and, and I think for a, a few hours, people couldn't use their mobile phones. Well, it was almost a national disaster. <laughs> and Telstra was sending out emails and saying, sorry, sorry, and we'll give you this and we'll give you that to make up for it. Hey, we're very impatient, aren't we? If, if things go wrong or we've got to wait, you know, we just think, oh, it's absolutely terrible. But how much more so when we're going through a time of hardship and a time of difficulty and a time of injustice, it can sometimes be really testing for us to be, to be patient. And we need to ask God for help. That's where we have to stay really close to him. We can't do it on our own. This Christian walk, we can't do it on our own. We can only do it with God. And, and you know, sometimes the problem is if we, we've got the Bible on the bookshelf and we're not actually reading it and we're not praying and then hardship comes and we think, oh, oh, I better consult God. You know, we get the Bible off, we brush off the dust and, you know, we think, oh, what, what's it like to pray? You know, friends, we're behind the eight ball. If we live our Christian walk like that, we need to constantly stay close to God. 
Stay in there with Jesus. He's our best friend. Be reading the word. Be meditating upon it. Be praying the word to God. Be, be talking to God so that we are strong. And then when the time of hardship comes, in the time of trial, it's not like suddenly we're playing catch up thinking, oh, what's God's perspective on this? But we already know God's perspective in the time of hardship and we're already strong in God. It might still be hard to be patient, but it's a lot easier when we have that really good ongoing relationship with the Lord. We can't do it on our own. God doesn't expect we can do it on our own and he doesn't want us to do it on our own. He wants us to see him as our absolute best friend who we talk to every day. We're studying his word to us because that's him just talking to us, talking to us daily. Verse 7 and 8, The farmer must wait patiently for his crops to grow. He cannot hurry the process. And in Israel, the autumn rains come in October and November and soon after the grain is sown and the spring rains come in March and April just prior to harvest. But the, the farmer has to patiently wait for the rains to come and patiently wait for the crops to grow. And in the same way, we must wait patiently for Christ's return. And we must wait patiently for Christ's deliverance in the time of hardship. We cannot make him come back any sooner. See, the farmer, no matter how quick he wants the crops to grow, he, he just can't hurry them up. They're just going to come when they come. I've got tomatoes at home in the veggie patch. They're still green. And I can get out there and say, turn red, turn red. It won't change anything. I just have to wait. One day they'll all get red together. And I'll have <laughs> tomatoes coming out of my ears. But, but for now, I just have to wait. That's the Lord of the farmer. It's the same for us as believers. We can't hurry the Lord along. Jesus will come back when he's ready, when God's ready, not, not in our time. But friends, we know that he will come back. The Bible is full of telling us that Christ will come back in honour and glory and power and all wrongs will be dealt with. And justice will be carried out. And it will be perfect justice, the justice of God. We need to be patient, but it will come. It's easier to endure suffering when we know there is an end in sight. And that's why Paul too, he says in Philippians chapter 3, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let us press on to win that prize. Jesus is coming again. And even if we die before he comes, we go into the presence of the Lord. That is something to hang on to, to look forward to. And in the difficulties of this life, it certainly helps when we know that the end game is a winning game for us. I don't mean by game to make it cheaper, but you know what, I, what, what I'm saying there. And, and listen, just to throw this in, it's not in the text, but just to throw it in. Romans 12, 19 says, 
Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So, so the problem is when we go through injustices or we see other people going through injustices, if we can stand up and do something about that in a positive way and God, yes, let's do it, sometimes you can't. But, but it's not for us to get angry and bitter and, and try and think, oh, how can I get revenge? I want to pay them back. Because God says that is not our role. That's not our role. It's for God to do it. God will avenge all the injustice, all the oppression, all the evil that's in the world. I know in my life that I have done wrong to people and I feel terrible about that. I've caused them misery and suffering. But also I've seen that happen to me. Uh, where people have done terrible uh, injustices. But friends, it's not for me to get angry and bitter and to be there with this sort of thing just smouldering like, oh, how can I get them back? Or even thinking, I hope they cop it. You know, because sometimes we can do that, can't we? We're there just, you know, scheming in our mind, oh, I hope they get it. Friends, that's not for us to have our life filled with anger and bitterness. And friends, it certainly helps when we've been terribly wronged to be able to, in our prayer life, just sit with God and say, God, I'm so hurt and this is so wrong. But Lord, I give it to you and I know that one day you will sort it out in the right way. You will make the right judgments. You will deal with this. It's not for me. And that is an incredible release to us when we can pray like that and leave it with God. It's a healing thing for us. And God says to us, hey, let this go. I'll deal with it. You be joyful. You get on and just have joy in me. No one and nothing, Romans 8 says, can separate us from the love of God. That's the promise of God. Doesn't matter how wicked or how evil or how oppressive people are, they cannot separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ. They might have power to do some harm to people, but no one has the power to take us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And God wants us to rejoice in that. Can I say too? Whoa, uh, better move on really quickly. Um, can I say too, while we're being patient, active patient helps. Active patience helps. Um, while we wait on God to come and deliver us, uh, may we be uh, patient, but may we do something. You know, one thing I'll see when I get around with all these farmers is that they might have to wait for the crop to come. They can't hurry it up, but they never just sit at home thinking, oh, 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 is it going to come? They're out there always working. And, and as believers, may we be active in our patience, always out there serving God, doing whatever we can. When I was very young in ministry, God taught me this lesson. I'm a bit thick sometimes, a bit slow. And sometimes God sort of dongs me on the head and just lets me know things. And, and one day, uh, it, or I was going through a time in, in ministry and I was absolutely flat um, just 
feeling really under it, didn't want to do anything, um, probably, you know, verging on, on depression and so on. And uh, I got a call and I had to go to hospital to see uh, one of the church people who'd been in a car accident. And doesn't this sound terrible? But I just felt like, oh, I can't really even go. Isn't that terrible? Anyway, I went and, and I walked into that hospital room and there was this person, it's like you see on the movies, they had a bandage around the head, black eyes, bruised. They had an arm in, car, you know, in, in a cast up on, you know how they hold it up in suspension, and a foot up in suspension all in the cast. Anyway, I walked in, I saw that person, and straight away I forgot about my own woes and I just, my heart went out to them and I sat with them and listened and talked and prayed and tried to encourage them completely forgot about my own problems and when I left that hospital ward, I was feeling fantastic. Now you might be thinking, oh, that poor person, you know, <laughs> they're still there all up like this. Well, hopefully they felt a little bit better as well. But I left feeling fantastic, not because of their plight, but because I'd let my own woes go. And, and I learned a lesson that day. It's almost like as I was walking down that hospital corridor that God was saying see if you Kim Jager just sit there wallowing in your own suffering and hardships that might be real but nonetheless if that's all you focus on you're going to basically be paralyzed and be no good for me no good for anything you're just going to be miserable but if you serve me if you still have a heart for other people, if you're still willing to go out and help and, and, and do something for others, you are actually going to be better off. And it's something that I've taken with me the rest of my life, that no matter how downtrodden I am, no matter how miserable I am, or, or, and I've had some pretty low times, but always there's got to be room to serve God, always room for God, always room for other people. And friends, it helps to take you through life. Verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. I thought long and hard about this and prayed about it, and I could only come up with one reason James is putting that in there. I checked it out with the commentators. They seem to think it's the same reason as I'd come up with. And, um, and it's basically this, when things go wrong, we tend to grumble against one another and blame others for our miseries. So it's a bit like, you know, in the family, say, I'll use Dad as an example. Dad's had a bad day. He comes home. He's grumpy with everybody, biting everyone's head off. And, and we say to Dad, Dad, you might have had a real bad day, but don't take it out on us. It's not our fault. And that's what James is saying here. If we're having hardship, if, if we're going through trouble outside the church, don't bring it into the church and get all grumpy with our Christian brothers and sisters and find fault with them and take it out on them. It's not their fault. It's a really simple one, isn't it? But that's all James is throwing in there. Um, blaming others, um, it, it, it's sinful and, and it can be destructive in the body, so we shouldn't do that. And before we judge others for their shortcomings, remember this is what James is saying, that Christ the judge will come to evaluate each of us. 
The judge is standing at the door. It's a reference to Christ's second coming and the judgment associated with it. The New Testament insistence on imminence arises from the teaching that the last days began with the incarnation when Christ came to the world. And we have been living in the last days ever since. The next great event in redemptive history is Christ's second coming. Imagine that. That's the next great event that is going to happen is the coming of Christ in glory, honour and power. And the New Testament doesn't say when it will take place, as we know, but its certainty is never questioned and we are constantly admonished to watch for it. So we should watch for it and live like it. Friends, I think we'll finish there. Can I lead us in prayer? And, and, you know, may we be like Job. I was going to go on a little bit about that, but we had that so well coming through this morning. But may we be like Job when we are in hardship. You know, where he said uh, he, he fell to the ground in worship. Imagine that. That's how he entered his time of hardship. He fell to the ground in worship. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. In other words, you know, we don't really deserve anything. Life's not about us, it's about God. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. May that be our life, that even in the time of focus, our hardship is still on God. May we never rebuke God. May we never, you know, blame him and, and take it out on him. But, but may we find grace and comfort and strength in God and patience as we look forward to the fact that justice will come. Heavenly Father, we, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be like Jesus. As we read in 1 Peter, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Lord, help us to entrust our life to you. Oh, Lord, help us just to put our hands in you, our life in you, everything, Lord, just to lay our life in you. You will order our steps. You will bring about justice for us. You will bring about deliverance. It might be today, it might be tomorrow, or in a month, or a year, or five years, or it might be when we pass on to be with you, or it might be when Jesus returns. But justice will come deliverance will come. Lord, help us to find that comfort and trust in you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.